Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to you, face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you show me, man. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, brought to you by Ken Erty. Hi, Owen, how are you? Good, Kieran Murphy. Uh, hello there, Owen. Hi there, and me, Owen McDevitt. Uh, I'm good. I've established that, I'm fine. Is Leo Messi, Ken? Well, this is a question that we want to ask Tim Vickery. Is Leo Messi, 2015 edition, the best yet? Better than any of the previous versions of himself? We're going to talk to Tim about it, but I'd like to throw it out to you first. Is there an argument? Because there's no point comparing him to other players at this stage. He's mm. obviously the best. Well, I'd say he's obviously the best. A couple of months ago, everyone was saying, Cristiano Ronaldo is actually kind of better. But mm. he's been the preeminent player of his generation. So why not compare Messi against just old versions of himself at this stage? Well, Ronaldo was better than Messi in 2014. Oh, yeah, but that's because Messi was just sort of a gap year. It's like a student. It's like somebody who's just been doing the same thing for years. Yeah, and, well, Messi's gap year is still involved in scoring about 42 goals and or something. But. You know, just even from a PR point of view, it's, it's like, it was actually a really good idea. Yeah. Um, because everyone just gets bored. Like, if Messi plays yeah. as well as he did yesterday, like, just forever now, yeah. it would just be, well... It yeah, becomes well, the normal. Yeah, yeah. People will still construct arguments about, you know, oh, well, you know, he's not the best player ever. You know, mm. someone else was the best player ever. Whereas if he takes a slight dip year where he scores, you know, 42 goals in the league or whatever, uh, or something ridiculous, uh, but then that counts as a dip year. When he goes back up to those standards, it's like, my God, have you seen this guy play football? He's unbelievable, my God! He's, he's, he's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what has he got now? Is it 54 goals? Those, funny, those, uh, the ridiculous goal scoring is something that you can't take for granted. And uh, once himself and Ronaldo go, maybe nobody will score those kind of goals again for a long time but it's always been the case I found with Messi that it's these big nights I'm sure it's, it's, it's an obvious thing to say but it's the fact that he's as likely to do something score a goal like he did against Bayern Munich against Bayern Munich as mm-hmm. he is against Granada yeah. and that's what I love about him I don't really I'm not that bothered about watching him score a hat-trick against a, a team, that, team the team whose entire budget is less than he gets yeah, paid yeah whereas when, he's, when he turns it on as he does at will it seems sometimes against these top teams it's oh, it was amazing. I mean okay so there's fi- it's actually 53 goals in 51 I mean that's matches. impressive I'm not saying that's not impressive <laughs> I mean that's yeah, that's great but there, he, there is a, there is a temptation I think with the numbers yeah. that the numbers are so amazing that they all just kind of blur into each other you know that the, the idea that 
uh, you know, oh, you could get like a, you know nearly a hundred goals in one calendar year. Like that is so ridiculous. If you said ten years ago a guy's going to score sixty goals or seventy goals in a in a calendar year, you're like, this Nobody, is, it, it, yeah. forget about it. that's uh, you know ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it's the games, the performances that are actually you can you know it's it's not an abstract thing in your mind over the course of a year. It's like I've just watched fifteen minutes of the best football I've ever yeah. seen one person play. Yeah, absolutely. And he, uh, I mean, he scored the two brilliant goals last night, two really different goals. One really, uh, you know, power. One, <laughs> I mean, poor, poor Boateng, you know, the same in the James Milner zone. But uh, there was just so many little dribbles, mainly. Well, actually, there was some good statistics on the dribbles. I mean, Barcelona are always going to dribble more than Bayern Munich, but, you know, it was 10 by Messi, three by Bayern in the game. Um, uh, so many times, just. There was one in the first half uh, where he cut past a, a guy sort of down the outside. It was just amazing. It was a real kind of ole type moment. But he's kind of it's so it comes so easily to him. I mean, we were talking about his goal scoring. He scored more than a goal a game for the last six seasons in a row, which is like, yeah. I mean, the the outstanding one there is obviously seventy three goals in twenty eleven twenty twelve. So if you're asking if he, is he is the best good, ever, that, that's kind of his. But is he as good as is Messi this season? As good Even as then. better, better than that year. Well, it's, I think he's a little bit different because um, what he was doing then was he'd kind of become obsessed almost with scoring goals. Remember, he was chasing the Gerd Muller record, and I think he was actually kind of like I'd quite like to have that record, score oh, the most goals records, in the calendar yeah. year. Uh, and he did, he did break uh, Muller's record, but he had become very single-minded in his pursuit of scoring. I think, um, I mean, which is which is that's still that season he's still at twenty-eight assists which is his best ever total in a season. 28 assists, it's like, nobody gets that. So, 73 goals, 28 assists. This time, he's only got 53 goals, uh, but he's got 27 assists, which is his second highest total, and the season still has time to go. So, I think you can kind of begin to see a shift of emphasis with Messi, um, partly because of the players that he's now playing with. Uh, Neymar and Suarez are often want to be ahead of him on the field, whereas when he was the kind of centre-forward, well, he wasn't the centre-forward, he was, you know, the withdrawn centre-forward, um, he he was often the furthest player forward for Barcelona, and uh, I think with Suarez particularly in the team, you get to see more of Messi dropping deep and kind of shaping the play. Maybe doing more of the kind of thing that uh, Zinedine Zidane used to do. Um, I'm not suggesting Zidane is was as good as Messi, you know, but th- this kind of play, you know, where the where the team is revolving around him as opposed to him being the cutting edge of the team. Um, so in a way. You get to see a wider range of skills from him, rather than you know the finishing and the acceleration in the box. You're actually getting to see him do more in games, and, and it's more fun to watch. And the acceleration and the finishing, exactly. In the box. He shows he can still still do that kind of thing. So he's got absolutely everything. report on sport. Uh, and also, oh, and the um, spectacular uh, Niall Quinn like uh, knockdown ability as he uh, did for Luis Suarez at one point when uh, Ter Stegen wellied it up to the big lad, Lionel Messi, who uh, nodded it onto <laughs> Luis Suarez. It's just great to have a plan B, you know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> games get a little tight. You know, just lump it up to the big man. Uh, see what he can do. Second balls, you know? I'd say that Luis Enrique has said second balls off Leo. If he said that once, he said it a thousand <laughs> times this season. Get in around Get him. it on the noggin. Get, yeah, get the diags going. It's not rocket science. You know, yeah. you know what you're going to get with a Leo Messi. Yeah, exactly. Not the prettiest striker in the eye, but yeah. he'll run the channels for you. Um, yeah, no, he's he was uh, it was great. 
just a just a great all round performance in every way. I mean, Suarez had missed um, missed that one on one. Neymar had missed a couple of chances. <laughs> Sorry, we're just actually looking at a replay of Lionel Messi nodding that one into the path of Luis Suarez. So I hadn't seen him do that before, and I didn't realize he could do that. But but he can. He's got it all. It did actually show the vision of him. It's whatever about the execution that he. It's an, it's a header that other players mightn't have seen. So when he chooses to become a header of the ball. He, do, he does it in a creative way. But that moment in the game, I mean, when you, when you get done like that, what's Pep Guardiola thinking there? Oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I've just been done by a long ball from the goalkeeper to the halfway line, and Lionel Messi's just nodded one into space, which is completely empty. It's only Nora had saved, uh, saved Bayern there, pulled off a great save. Um, should have been 1-0. At this point, Barca, Bayern Munich were playing three at the back against three up front for Barcelona. I mean, as reminded of something Steven Gerrard said last season, uh, it was in that kind of crazy spell of the season when Liverpool were winning a lot of games by scoring five or six goals and letting in three or four. Um, and he said after one of the games, if you want to play two against two against these guys, then good luck to you. Because he was like, talking about Sturridge and Suarez. Like, you can't expect to get away with that. You know, they're going to beat you individually. You need more, you need to outnumber them in order to stop them. It was bizarre that Bayern set up a game like that, you know, especially with um, kind of Xabi Alonso just in front. Xabi Alonso hasn't had a good game against Barcelona for for years now. You know what I mean? He's not been, he hasn't been at that kind of, he's they know how to play against Xabi Alonso. He's, he's reduced to kind of fouling and tripping people. What is it just that Xabi Alonso is not as good himself well, as he he's not. He's not quite. I mean, he's, he's good, good enough against most teams, but against Barcelona, he's he's been struggling. I think for a while. I just thought it was very risky, and there was all the, there were so many chances. I mean, the Suarez one was the best, but there were other chances uh, before they changed. Um, I mean, I've seen people suggesting today that that might have been a plan from Guardiola. Like, I'm going to start the game with a different formation from the one I'm really intent to play the game in. He's done this before, did it in the Champions League final say, against Manchester United, the first one. Um, where they kind of swapped around Messi and Eto after 15 minutes in a pre-arranged kind of shuffle. He's done, he does this kind of thing. Seemed a bit dangerous, though. You know, why would you play for the first 15 minutes with a really unstable, risky system, nearly let in a bunch of goals, then change? It, your plan doesn't sound that smart. You know... Um, for a man who thinks a lot about the game... Maybe overthinking think, that yeah, one. Maybe overthinking it, yeah. Um, and then, you know, they, they, kind of, they kind of got back into it. I mean, the thing about Bayern was that they didn't really have... They couldn't do anything with the ball when they had it. There wasn't any danger from them. I mean, and the problem that he's had is obviously his best players, some of his best players are missing. So usually they're looking to Arjen Robin to create something, to create danger, Frank Ribery, and they weren't there. Although they did have, you know, I mean, Lewandowski made it with his, you know, although <laughs> Lewandowski should have brought his iPhone for this game so he could play Angry Birds while this game's going on because he's really just... Standing there, this is sad. You know, he's he's not involved. The one time when he was involved, Muller picked him out and he um, he missed from you know six yards. He didn't quite get a good contact in the ball. But I'd like to see his stats. Me- meters, kilometers run, not point nine <laughs> through no fault of his own, but just there came a point where there's no point running. It wasn't great, but I mean, the the goals then were quite weird. I mean, um, the first goal particularly. Um, that Bayern Munich seemed to be distracted by their efforts to get Neymar sent off. Um, Neymar had kind of dived in the penalty area, and they were trying to get him booked, which would have been him out. And their 
kind of going to the ref and jostling around. Meanwhile, Manuel Neuer was acting on automatic. Um, he's got the ball for a goal kick. And what he sees is is like, oh, there seems to be quite a lot of players jostling around the referee. I, will, I've, I know what to do in this situation. So he's trained um, quick, quick, quick uh, kick out. Okay, if there's, if there's like a concentration of players on one side, pass the ball to the other side. There's space out there. Pass the ball to the other side. So he, oh, he really quickly passes the ball to Bernat, the left back, who suddenly is like, "Oh no!" <laughs> all of the all of the rest of my team are yeah. on the other, the other where, side of the field. Where are my teammates? There's a hole in this theory. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to try and. Um, I mean, Neuer just did it almost automatically, you know, without without thinking. This is what this is what they've been trying to do. It's automatic. Uh, unfortunately, in this instance, oh no, he's played the ball to a guy who's suddenly immediate, he's immediately in trouble. He manages to go past one guy, uh, and then. Uh, you know, isn't in sufficient control of the ball to prevent Dani Alves taking it off him, playing it inside to Messi, who just batters it in. And, I mean, so in that moment, everything is just is gone. And, I mean, I kind of wonder sometimes, given how intensely Guardiola sort of prepares the team, the shattering effect of a, of a blow like that, where it's a mistake that you've made, kind of, it really seems as though... I don't know, was there a bit of a glass jaw demonstrated there by Bayern Munich? Well, if you have enough confidence in the system that you're playing, and we know the Barcelona players did when Guardiola had them under his control, I don't think it should be shattered. I think the point of believing in what you're doing is that, okay, these little glitches are going to happen. There's always a Joe Schmidt comparison that you'd make in those kind of things where, okay, there will be a system error here and there. There will be an individual mistake. Well, actually, more to the point, there will be an individual mistake here and there. Don't make... Don't have system errors. Don't don't let things unravel in that way. And if a small mistake within that does happen, then you just move it along mm. and and react to it. But it could be indicative of the Bayern players. And the soundings are that they all have bought into what he's doing. But yeah. maybe there's a little bit of doubt in the player in the minds of one or two of the players. And if that's there, then in their own head they're thinking, well, this is you know, this is just the way we're being told to play, and it's not really the right way. Yeah, um, I, I do wonder about. It. I mean, he a long-winded way, kind of saying that. Um, yeah, maybe it didn't affect Barcelona. Did it does affect Bayern when they make mistakes like that? They really, they should not. To concede the goal that late, the 77, 77 minute was obviously disappointing. But what Bayern need to do then is just make sure they don't let in a goal, and then they let in a goal immediately. They let in a goal three minutes later. Again, they let Messi get the ball in this position where he's going to. He's so dangerous. I mean, poor Boateng is made to look really bad. But Boateng obviously expects Messi to come onto his left foot. You know, he's thinking probably not going to be able to stop him. But the one thing I really want to stop is him Slide coming onto his left it. foot yeah. and smacking it, right? So if he's on his right foot, maybe there's a little bit less of a chance. And that's what he decided to do. And obviously he knew he was beaten and he kind of, like the way that he fell down was obviously despair. He's like, oh no, this is, oh no. Yeah, I there, can't do anything now. There is an element in fairness that, you know, if you're a defender in that situation, the one thing you shouldn't be thinking about is, well... I just hope I don't become an internet meme. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually... you, you, you kind of actually you have to you have to try and play the game. You know, you can't actually just give up and then make sure that you don't look like a fool yeah. while you're giving up. You know, you you can't really do that. Yeah, he he did he did get we'll get on to heavily memed uh, quite a bit of that later on. But what? Um, uh, what have you got to no, say no, about? hang on. Uh, just just on the point of Guardiola, um, it is it is. Uh, I mean, they, I think they definitely have bought in. But you saw last night, Thomas Muller, he took Muller off after the second goal. And they had a row then on the sideline. You know, Thomas Muller, of all the guys here having a row with Guardiola, he seems to be angry to be coming off. Um, but I suppose there was a lot of kind of frayed tempers. The problem Byron have is that, you know, the hierarchy are really kind of solidly behind 
Guardiola. They can't. They have to be. Remember, they were the ones who got rid of Heinkes, decided to get rid of Heinkes and bring in Guardiola because he was going to, he was like the top guy in world football. And Heinkes then went and won the treble, right? And he's obviously leaving anyway. Guardiola's coming in. So that was that was a bit embarrassing. But if they they have to continue to back Guardiola, it was, it was such a big call to bring him in, really. Uh, and they will continue to do that. But I wonder... I think the situation is unstable because for a couple of things. First of all, Guardiola's temperament, he doesn't take defeat well. He's not hes not used to it. He hasn't had to deal with it much. Um, the similarity to last season, um, same things just happen again. You've just got completely destroyed in the semi-final. You know, there's no, no point winning the league easily, but then losing the big game when it comes. I mean, everyone is laughing at Bayern now in Germany. Imagine how hilarious it is. Imagine how hilarious it is for all the Dortmund fans and Schalke fans and everybody else in Germany. It's like, they're yakking it up in Wolfsburg so, tonight. That yeah. was so sweet. It was so sweet. Look, did you see Boateng? Did you see, you know, they're all laughing at Bayern and Bayern hate being laughed at. You know, they just, ah, you can't laugh at us. So, uh, that's kind of going on at the moment. I think the, the more that goes on, the the more difficult it kind of gets for everyone to hold together, you know? Because the problem is that a lot of the fans don't really like the kind of football. They find it boring. Like, we, we have a team that just and some never the, gives the other team the Some of the, the players might find it boring as well. This is the problem. I think I, I don't think the players do find it boring because I think it's a, it's a challenge to them to play this way. And it's, it takes a lot of concentration. I think they're absorbed in the task more than they are bored. But the fans are kind of sitting watching this going... Oh, I, I almost want the other team to get the ball here just so that something else can happen other than us passing the ball around. Um, and when you've got that, and then we, we can wind this, this pattern of losing the big games at the end of the season, you know, that's not a stable uh, basis for, for next season. Juventus are back. Yeah, Juventus. Um, well, Juventus only need 2-1, and it's not a great lead. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's every chance Juventus of Real Madrid. Juventus are back, Ken. That's how I feel. I, for it. one, welcome our new Italian overlords, <laughs> Ken. I don't know. Um, it takes me back to my childhood. Juve, Juventus should be in the Champions League semi-final. They should be. They probably they should, should be there thereabouts every year, Murph. Yeah. Chiro Ferrara should be... Well, in fairness, the spirit of Chiro Ferrari, Ferrari lives on. Well, Juventus are the, are the minnows, the European minnows of this... Uh, of these uh, semi-finals, but they've won twice, I think, two times, um, which doesn't compare to any of the other clubs in the uh, in the semi-final. But they do have a pretty handy team. I mean, I thought they'd had a quite an easy run to get to the point where they're at in this competition. Um, but they have, you know, beaten the, the champions now, uh, Real Madrid. I mean, they had there was some great moments of Italian defending. There was Giorgio Chiellini uh, getting booked for. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo was was kind of looked like he was might escape with the ball. That's what I was talking half. about. The spirit of Ferrer. oh, that's, that's it. Yeah, that, it's an amazing piece of play. It was just absolute. Okay, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm taking that yellow card for the team. But there was also, if you remember, James Rodriguez's header against the bar uh, across. It was a brilliant piece of play by Real Madrid, where they went from one end of the pitch to the other, kind of moved the ball from the right side of the pitch to the left, whipped in across, and there's Rodriguez. Um, from point-blank range, heads against the crossbar. Oh, my God. Except it's not against the crossbar. It's the toe of the Italian defender who's just, oh, you know, leg at maximum extension, has just managed to get his toe up in front so that as the, as the ball hits Hammers' head, it's going straight in, but then nicks off the toe and up off the... It was brilliant. So that's the reason that it's a 2-1. Um I don't think Juventus will get to the final, but Madrid are having Madrid's problems at the moment seem to be internal rather than Juventus related. 
Um, Gareth Bale was was absolutely trashed by everybody, probably most harshly by Roy Keane, actually, of, of all the people. I mean, he was saying, well, it's, it's difficult when you're playing with 10 men. Gareth Bale gave Real Madrid absolutely nothing, you know, which is a bit much. Paul Scholes, who was on with Keane, pointed out that uh, Sergio Ramos also wasn't great. The keep... Uh, actually gave Sergio Ramos two out of ten. The keep of notoriously uh, is it notoriously harsh taskmasters, and I know we've talked about the you know, Messi only got a six last night of so. trying to. Yeah, but they never. Yeah, I think it's Ben Littleton always tweets the the keep. One of the journalists I follow always t- tweets the the keep player ratings after Champions League games. And I'm not, what 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 does a guy have to do to get an eight out of ten around here, or are these just marks out of seven or something? Because really, really harsh. I remember when uh, Ireland played in Paris, the time of the. John O'Shea, Roy Keane midfield, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. 2006. Uh, Kevin Kilban. Yeah, at this heroic nil-nil draw, which turned out to be the result that probably stopped us from qualifying. But we thought it was great at the time because we went away and got a point and it was all amazing. Felt, sorry, it's Kil- yeah, Kilban, yeah. We all thought that the, um, every Irish player was absolutely amazing. You know? And then you're looking at the player ratings and it's all fives, sixes. Like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. Is Keane not a ten? No. But yeah, uh, so they keep uh, harsh taskmasters, isn't they? Yeah, they... Um I mean, yeah, they they didn't give Ramos a, a very good mark. I mean, it's uh, he, but he's playing in midfield. He's playing in midfield because Luka Modric is uh, injured, and he gave away pretty much every ball. I don't think Real Madrid can play that badly again. I think in their own stadium, um, I think in their own stadium they can probably do it. Although Juventus showed that they're a very good counter-attacking team. I mean, Tevez's counter-attack for the second goal, which was scored by him from a penalty, was brilliant. I mean, he dribbles one end of the field to the other. Um, so he's a difficult player to stop. Do you want a very quick word on John Carver? I just feel that we're, we're never going to hear of John Carver again after this. He'll be he'll be a, a mythical figure uh, from the end of this season for the rest of our footballing lives. So we might as well get another Carver story in while we can. Carver says, I still think I'm the best coach in the Premier League. That's what I think. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I still do. If I have the right tools, I can do the job. I'm doing the job to the best of my ability at the moment. I'll continue doing that for the next three weeks. Might so. be the best coach, but he's a good manager. Uh, well, I don't and know. He's, not, he's, he's probably not the best coach. He says he's the best coach. Yeah. I don't know if Newcastle United really has managers these days. I think that is got, true. Yeah. I think the manager isn't the word they they like there. Um, he said his job is safe. They did put out a statement saying that they basically they weren't going to bother sacking him over the, over the next three games. There was no point because Steve McLaren. Remember, we were talking about McLaren the other day. This was their big plan: get McLaren in. Steve McLaren has said no. Steve McLaren said he's going to stick with uh, Derby County. Um, he's bloody going to get Derby County in the Premier League. <laughs> either that or by he... hook or by crook. Either that or he will be sacked at some point <laughs> in the middle of next season as it looks as though they can't get promoted. But he's, he's serious about this and he's not going to Newcastle United. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. the humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. Richie Sadler has arrived. Richie, how are you? 
How are you, lads? You well? Not too bad. It's nice to have a few hours away from you, but uh, it's <laughs> equally nice, nice to have you here. here it's nice to see you all again. Uh, listen, Manchester United, they've signed the Dutch forward Memphis Depay from PSV. Not many people would have watched a huge amount of this guy uh, outside of the World Cup. And sorry to all the PSV fans out there. I'm sure you guys <laughs> all, And all of the Eredivisie uh, fans uh, out yeah, there as can't well. can't get enough of him. But what I'm interested in is what he's going to bring to the table personality-wise, because this is almost as key, I think, to making it at these big clubs. There certainly seems to be as actually the ability that they have. And Arjen Dezeu, a countryman of his on BBC Sports, says people regard him as a little bit arrogant, a little bit cocky, but I think he's a very good player, a very promising player, very strong, blah, blah, blah. People expect him to be the best player on the pitch every week, so you have to have a bit of self-belief to achieve that. I think he'll do well for Manchester United. That sounds to me like a variation on the theme that was huge, certainly in the Ferguson years, that a player has to be big enough for Manchester United that was seemed to be said a lot that a club can be too big for a guy do you think that that is just one of these cliches that's trotted out that is trotted out or actually you have to be this guy sounds like a bit of a cocky so and so to actually make it at these clubs yeah it is often said about the, the big clubs and the big clubs in Spain as well that you need a certain personality as opposed to just the technical ability of, as a footballer but it ties in with the discussion we've probably had many times about the importance of like a dressing room harmony or the egos of, of the individuals. And if he is all of those things, if he is a cocky so-and-so and if he strolls in his restroom like he owns a place, he's going to need to back it up with performances. That, that would be my starting point in this. Like if a fella comes in and he, and he looks like, yeah, I belong here, this is my level and, and you know, here I am. Well, that's great. You're going to need that and that will serve him well. But if he doesn't back it up with, with work and performances, straight away, those players in the room are just going, who's this fella? Like, what is he basing all this arrogance on? But do you need that arrogance as a, just as a basis, as a, as a base level? If you walk in without that, have you got any chance in hell at Man United? Because you're walking in and there have been some really talented players. Juan Sebastian Varane, one of the best players in the world at the time, it seemed like the place was a bit too big for him. Do you actually need to be cocky to, to fit in at somewhere like that? I, I don't think so. The example that's coming to my head now is, is say, John O'Shea. Hmm. And, and he would have played... Obviously, he got into the United team quite young. In in all my dealings with him, or hearing other people describe, yeah, I've never just, heard so him described like nice guy, as yeah. arrogant. No. Like you can be, you can be sound or nice or a decent fella and do well. I don't think when I hear things like arrogance and cockiness, I think of a fella who's a little bit nasty or maybe he's not that particularly sound. I don't think arrogance has to be. I think you use the word belief. I think that's essential. If you don't believe that you belong in a dressing like that, you're going to get swallowed up and spat out. Is there a slightly different... Uh, is it slightly different for a player coming... John O'Shea is a great example of a guy who seems to be a, a nice guy and does well, but he was there, he came up through the ranks, whereas a, a player coming in... For example, right? Oh, sorry, go on. You were going well, to... Well, he had to... I mean, you say, you say he comes through the ranks, that's, that is true. Maybe, you know, he kind of felt a bit more comfortable in that environment or, like, he was more used to the to the club yeah. than say a guy who arrives like say Cristiano Ronaldo did from, from a different country but he did have to actually come through that UT. he, he had to be the best player in his youth team to make it and so he did, so, I suppose he did have to step into the senior dressing room for a first time with Roy Keane yeah. there yeah. at one point he would have had to go in and change <laughs> in that room where you're looking around at men who yeah. have maybe a lot of the descriptions that you we, we, we've given to, to, to members pay, to yeah. pay um, and he's going to be able to handle himself yeah the uh, the point about the, the sort of Manchester United players, some of the players who haven't made it, for, you've got a guy like Antonio Valencia there, right? Mm-hmm. Tony Valencia is 
reasonably talented player. I mean, he wouldn't be playing for Man United if he wasn't. But he's not the most gifted lad in the world. Certainly not as gifted as Varane, who I mentioned earlier on, or as Diego Forlan, for example, a guy who seems to be the embodiment of somebody who was really good before he went there, really good after, incredible after, one of the best strikers in Europe, maybe since Stretch of for a year or two anyway, but yet was a bit of a disaster there, largely because he seemed to be a reasonably nice human being. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I wonder about it. Like, I think sometimes sometimes the players, like, I think Varane, or, or rather, Forlan failed at Man United. Mainly, okay. The main reason he failed is that he played badly most of the time when he played. I mean, he missed a lot of chances. He missed big chances for them. Um, I think I remember one against Leverkusen in the semi-final of the European Cup. You know, it's just that was the main reason. But I think the he also had a problem uh, of just getting into the team. There, it wasn't really an ideal team for him to... There was players essentially blocking his path. Mm. He, it wasn't as though he really had a... Whereas Valencia, I think, has been the opposite. Like, Valencia, ever since he arrived, he was bought for a specific position in the team. We want a right winger. And he's kind of played there mostly. Okay, he's played a lot of right back now. But he was kind of... He kind of knew that his place in the team was... Not that it was secure, but like, okay, I can see where I fit in here, why they want me, why I understand what I'm supposed to do. With Forlan, I'm not sure it was that clear. And with Veron, it definitely wasn't. With Veron, it was like, why Why did they Why did they buy me? I don't I don't fit in here at all. You know, he play, he's used to playing a completely different type of game. He's suddenly there with... He, he's supposed to be dictating a midfield that has Roy Keane in it. <laughs> and he's a kind of... A, plays at a completely different tempo as well. So... I think maybe his personality was part of it. You know, he was—he seemed a bit laid back by the standards of, you know, Roy Keane. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think he wasn't the right kind of footballer either. Like, that also that also is uh, is important. Yeah, and it's, it's just... Valencia is a very interesting uh, name to throw into this because it's not just that he's, you know, a decent footballer who apparently can't seem to get dropped from a Man United team in regardless of what position he uh, is playing in that week. Uh, there's also... And this counts to more what you were saying on he doesn't look like a very confident guy he he has kind of a hangdog expression on his face for a Val- lot Valencia. of the, Valencia and so the one word like belief confidence they're words you would never associate with Antonio Valencia and yet here he is five years into a Manchester United career that's been really successful by any metric for a player of his ability is it specific to Manchester United to be, I, I think that seemed to grow a lot of legs over the Alex Ferguson years that a club the Manchester United was too big for him I never, I've never heard it said to the same extent that Chelsea was too big for somebody or that Arsenal was too big maybe that's just my reading of it or is that just because Manchester United were the Reyes, biggest maybe team. Jose Antonio Reyes yeah. was a bit there's, there's nothing about Manchester United that should be any different than if a player is going to Liverpool or, or, or is there no I don't think there is and I don't think this is a football specific issue either I think it's even if you extend this conversation to areas like youth development and to why certain like super talented young players just don't make the jump, like the John O'Shea, mm. the the that that progress from the youth football into to men's football, you can you can probably think of Man United is is a, is an easy easy example because they're all so high profile. But I'm sure every club and every manager can tell a story of a player who went from youth to reserves or reserves to first team or from a smaller neighbouring club to them and just didn't deal with the step-up. You just don't deal with heightened expectations or pressure or a bigger wage or whatever it is, whatever are the things that, that you put in your head or what are in, what are in your head when you start to put pressure on yourself. Um, and that's in any scenario. That's away from even doing this, a podcast. If you're sitting here going, I don't belong here, you will very quickly sound like a mumbling idiot. And you'd be yeah, found that's, out. That's, that's yeah. yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm sitting right here. Old. 
But I, I wonder, I think a lot of it also is whether, maybe some of it depends on your paranoia levels as well, you know, um, like you go, you arrive into a dressing room or whatever and you, you kind of, it's okay, do these guys actually think I'm any good? Yeah. I mean, I think of the example of Andy Cole, right? Andy Cole was unbelievable for Newcastle. He scored, you know, just ridiculous quantities of goals, almost, you know, messy type the tallies of goals for, for that season before he joined Manchester United. He joined them and he just was hopeless. I mean, he scored five goals in, in a match against Ipswich and even that didn't seem to quite spark him into life. I mean, it took him... He improved as he went on. When Eric Cantona retired. Yeah. When Eric Cantona left, Andy Cole got it together. I mean, he, 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 was, kind of, he was kind of getting there. But it seemed to me as though Cantona's... Cantona seemed scornful of Cole. I mean, I remember the so many times, you know, he passed the ball to Cole. Cole would, would miss. And Cantona would just go, oh. You know, and everyone in the stadium could see Cantona sort of going, I can't believe, you know, this guy. I'm playing with this guy. Why am I playing with so this guy? So that's not paranoia then. If it's actually, if he actually is being scorned by if this guy. they really guy. are all out to get you. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, I mean, it, it, I suppose some people, some people might just be like, oh, you know, sort of would tell Cantona where to go but others might really take it to heart and kind of worry and be like oh no everyone everyone thinks that he's just the only one who's rude enough to kind of <laughs> he's just the only one who's rude enough to make it obvious well it's funny Raheem Sterling is I know we probably talked too much about Raheem Sterling in this podcast but in the context of that I think it's interesting because when Suarez was there he anytime Sterling didn't pass him the ball Suarez Suarez just roars at everybody particularly Liverpool when mm. he could get away with it I thought, geez, he's not exactly making it easy for this 17-year-old coming into the team. And yet Sterling didn't seem remotely bothered by it. No. He'd just go, he'd just do it, just get the ball, run at the defender again and, and, and beat him by himself if he had to. Because he wanted to, you know, because Suarez gave it a lot of stick, but also a bit of carrot as well. Mm. You know, like when uh, he really seemed delighted for Sterling when he would score. You know, it wasn't like, I mean, I can't remember Eric Cantona like ever, you know, ecstatically, you know, jumping on top of Andy Cole. Yes, Andy. No. I don't, I don't remember that. You know, Cole would score and Cantona would kind of shrug. It's how, it's, I think it's how your, the personality of your teammates is, is a big thing. A couple of things are, I'm thinking of here. Remember when David Beckham, in one of the... He was talking about the, the, the way they won the treble and the, the late goals against Bayern Munich and he took the corner kick. Mm-hmm. And, 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 he, and he started recalling all these moments that he was practising corner kicks as a younger player with, say, Schmeichel. Mm-hmm. So he would deliver. And if anything... If it wasn't at the highest of standards, Schmeichel would roar at him and just rip him to shreds. So he knew that there was this immaculately high standard that he had to live up to. I, I remember when I had to do the exact same thing as a young player was brought over for shooting practice because the goalkeeper wants to stay back and do shooting practice. So they bring a few Joey's from the U team and I was one of them. And, and <laughs> it got to me a little bit because there was a couple of senior players there. And every time I went to shoot, I missed the target. Mm. Not once did anyone have a go at me. It was like, all right, no bother, son, have a, have a go again. So it, it's the expectations of the people around you and how they treat you. And if you've seen your players there, they're going to rip you to shreds every time you do something wrong. It's going to play in your mind. It has to. So is there an onus on the senior players to be really nice to this guy? You see, that's Welcome the other thing. Welcome him in and say, but I remember, armor, don't worry about it, you can make a few mistakes here, but we, we, do, we do expect high standards. But here's another, I remember Gary Neville doing an interview where he said in one of his earliest times in the United first team, being in the halftime dressing room with Roy Keane physically having him up against the wall by the throat at halftime, bollocking him for delaying t- crossing the ball. This isn't for a, a wayward pass or any of the other far more serious Crime. It was a very you, small detail. It, it, it was, the right thing it was like you, you had an opportunity to take the first time. What are you taking a second touch for? And and Neville was there going, well, there, I knew straight away this is the standard. And 
looking back, you just think, what a brilliant bit of captaincy or, or leadership from Keane because it immediately instilled in Neville there's a standard here and Neville had the temperament to step but up. But Keane yeah. did the exact same thing to the aforementioned Juan Sebastian Varane. Exactly. And Varane apparently uh, withered. He was trying to kill Varane. He was trying to kill Varane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want Varane at the club. He wanted Varane out. Yeah, but, but it's kind of an interesting thing though because uh, I remember reading um, uh, something about Sean Ogohalpine uh, talking before a guy made his debut and he put his arm around this debutante and said, if you win one ball today, you'll have helped the team, and that's, that's all we're asking of you. It's the first round of the Munster Championship. If you win one ball today, you know, you deserve to be here, you win one ball, you're helping the team. Like, are we saying that's not actually that helpful? That what, what you actually, what Sean O'Halpin should have been saying there is, listen, I actually don't care that this is your first game. You're wearing a Cork jersey, which means you have to be effing brilliant today and that's it do you know this phrase um, man management and it's often used in relation to a, a, like a member of staff a coach or, a, or his assistants I think that's what this is about it's, it's having the cop on or the the wherewithal to know that if I'm if I have to speak to you Murph about something that I know the approach that will work with you might necessarily be the one that work with mm. Ken or Owen and if you, if, you, if you can judge if you can grasp that as a manager or a captain or as a senior player like you're laughing because it, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing when it comes to motivating someone or focusing someone because every player is different and I think in, the, in tendency, we have a tendency in professional sport in particular just to assume people of similar abilities will be of similar characters and, and, and personalities so the Man United players will have to meet certain personality criteria to be a Man United player. It's not always the case. I and think, they have to be they be, they be handled differently as well. I think that's where Keane has maybe fallen down a bit. Like, you know, Massively. Uh, it's, he, he's, he's kind of been... a been a bit one-dimensional in the way he goes about things. But the, the way that he... Say, for instance, that thing with, with Gary Neville. I mean, and and take... And, and contrast that, say, to your, what you were saying about the shooting practice and nobody and everyone's saying, go on, son, right now. The thing is... You're okay. With, yeah. Yeah, a, li- a little lower. But, was ten, <laughs> that was ten foot over the bar. Just we're with, not going to move the target. <laughs> yeah. with, the, with, say, the shooting practice, would it not sometimes almost be more of a relief for them to go, what are you doing? Like, that's absolute rubbish. You know, because everybody can see that it is... So it's kind of better if someone says it. You know what I mean? What because, Keane, because it means they have some faith in you have, that you may actually be able to do better. Have, yeah. yeah, exactly. They have the, it's a kind of a respect in a way to, to, to make big demands of someone. You know? To say, no, you, you're gonna, we need a lot more from you. To, to, to say that suggests that you think they're capable of that. That's what Keane would always say, you know, when he's justifying... So he gathers, gathers the Sunderland players together and dressing. He's like, "You guys are rubbish. You know, you're all going. You're all going to get relegated. I'm going to get buy you hoodies for that lap of honor that you're going to have to do, right? Because you're a disgrace. <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff." He would say, "Well, that, there's no point in just being polite and ignoring the fact that this has been this has not been good enough. Yeah. You know, let, we we need to be honest about that. And when I'm demanding that of them, that shows that I believe in them. It shows that I care about them. You know, he always has this phrase: it's the ones that I don't say it, and they're the ones that have. You know, they're the ones I actually think are really no good. But um, I mean, I, I think there is something in that. It's just maybe he goes a little bit too far. Well, it sounds like you can do that as a captain. Maybe I don't know if if. The dynamic obviously changes as a manager. You have to think about a lot of different things. But that man management you talk about c- can come from the captain uh, or come from the leaders in the, in, in the team. They're the guys who have to sort out these younger players. But we talked about the messy like Andy Cole earlier on, Richie. What about Messi himself? You were suitably impressed last night? Yeah, he, he, he played all right. Um, <laughs> it, it, you're kind of running out of things to say about Messi because he, he's, he's reached and maintained a standard for so long now, which... 
I, I don't in my mind it's not comparable to anyone else that I've seen before growing up so like I'm, I'm tr- struggling to find not even, com- not even comparable to players oh sorry I, sorry yes he, there's, there's a load of players you could put in a conversation and say right. is he is he of a, of a standard but he's incredible but, yeah like, they're not as how many different I can't think of any other words that I haven't used before to describe what Messi I don't does talking, people just love hearing people yeah. saying the same thing about Messi yeah. the whole time because he's so uh, he's, he's incredible particularly when you add in the defenders falling over though I think that was the key touch last night That, that was it, a, if you can put a defender <laughs> on his ass it's nearly it was designed for the internet effectively that yeah. goal the three uh, of them I mean Lam or not Lam uh, Rafinha Neuer and, and both things all ending up lying on the I'm ground. sure the first memes were already out before before he hit the deck, as he was hitting the deck, there's already yeah, yeah. a meme kind of started up there and uh, I'm ready to go. Listen, Richie, you've been great. Thanks so much. Cheers, lads. Hair dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. I thought that he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. What about you guys? Would you prefer the tough love approach? If you were signing for Manchester United tomorrow morning, would you prefer to walk in there and be patronised if you made mistakes in training? Patronised. Don't even give me the other option. You don't want the tough love? I immediately want to be patronised. Can I just say, actually, before before this training session begins, I'm just so delighted you picked us. I'm humbled that you decided to choose us. Biggest club in the world. That doesn't matter, though. You still, you reached out, you chose us. God, I'm relieved. God, I'm excited. That's what I want to hear. I think I'd rather I'd rather be abused. Wait, I'm talking Wayne Rooney. I mean, he's a leader there, so you, you'd like Wayne Rooney, full in full foul mouthed Wayne Rooney tirade yeah. mode to yeah. just be effing and blinding at you how useless you are. Well, I think mean, of a, think of a referee who's on the end of no, a, t- of I a I mean, lashing. It, there's, there's one thing if it's like just a, an abusive uh, tirade, which is just designed to like crush your, you know, I mean. As, as opposed to like the sort of you need to do better than that you know we, this is what you need there's to do there's more in you I believe in you Ken says Rooney well that, he doesn't even have to say that but as long as that's kind of somewhere <laughs> implied as opposed to just you know I hate you and I I want you out of here I mean that's that's always difficult to deal with but I think I would rather that I don't, I don't know something about me you know I just kind of feel more comfortable when like people are kind of putting me down and stuff <laughs> Tim Vickery has been watching Leo Messi a little longer than the rest of us Tim you first spotted him at an under 17 World Cup I think it was you, you've talked about this with us before you weren't too impressed with the physicality or the, the physical attributes of Leo Messi and then you saw him actually play and turned your opinion around almost immediately after last night do you think is there an argument that it's not just that he's as good as ever in all the years you've seen him is he maybe now better than ever well, I, I think with with football, the collective context is is always important, uh, and uh, it's a different kind of Barcelona, isn't it? This time now with with Luis Enrique, and I I just wondered, watching the game yesterday, whether you know Guardiola's original idea when he lined up originally back three, I thought, well, that's very very risky, you know, to go back three against Messi, Suarez and Neymar. That's, you know, that's very, very risky indeed. And his original idea, I think, was to have to pack the midfield, to make sure that Bayern had as much ball as possible in, in, in the middle of the field and, and stifle Barcelona that way. And I just wonder if that's an idea that might have worked against the Guardiola Barcelona. But Luis Enrique's Barcelona this year are more direct. Do you remember the first chance... 
It was a kick out from the goalkeeper, a messy flick on with yeah. his head. You don't see that very often. And then Suarez behind the, behind the line and Neuer made the save. And uh, uh, from that point, Guardiola's thinking, well, you know, you know what? I, I don't think my idea works very well. I need more cover. And so after 15 minutes, he switches to a back four. So it's a different collective context now with Barcelona. Um, it's one where they can be more direct, more vertical, as you say, in, in this part of the world. And at the moment, that's perhaps surprising opponents a little bit more uh, and uh, offering some space for, for, for Messi. Uh, and once you do that, once you create some space for him, then watch out because uh, no, he, 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 he makes other great players around him look ordinary by comparison, doesn't he? He, he really is an extraordinary, extraordinary player. And I think every time when he has space and he's close enough to 100% physically to tip the balance every time, consistently, year after year after year, this is the man to watch. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was just it was incredible last season. I mean, uh, last night, I should say, one of the, one of the best uh, Champions League performances I think I've seen from him. But I wonder um, what your view is on how uh, Luis Suarez has... I mean, since Suarez has arrived into the team, uh, and since he kind of found his feet in the team... Um, the other two, well, Neymar has, has started playing a lot better, and Messi is playing some of his best football ever. It's, does, does, is Suarez, I think, do you think, responsible uh, for the way that everybody is playing better at the moment? Well, I think he opens up space for them because he has that capacity to, uh, and mobility to get behind the line, to stretch the opposing defensive line backwards. That opens up space. Um, it, it's again, it's, it's that, that point of, of, of the collective context. And I, I firmly believe that as, as a general rule in football, the stars, the individual stars shine when the collective context is, is correct. Um, earlier on in the season, you just wondered a little bit if with the three strikers, if Barcelona would front load themselves a bit and, and, and find themselves out, um, outmanned in midfield which was Guardiola's uh, initial bet yesterday. Um, but once they managed to sort that out, then the fact that Suarez always offers you those darting diagonal lines uh, runs behind the opposing defensive line, well, that, that opens up space. Uh, and uh, Messi doesn't need very much. Neymar needs a little bit more. But if you give them space, they, they will tear, tear defences to pieces. So I, I think that the key here, as well as the extraordinary individual ability of these players, is the fact that, that the collective context seems to be working very well. Sounds like you're giving a lot of the praise then to Luis Enrique, a man who we all assumed was dead man walking after the issues with Messi earlier on this season. Well, he's been bold enough to, uh, to, to think of an idea and follow it. Um, you know, in, it, I, I think it's it's indicative of of the, the tinkering that he's done with the team. That these days, the idea of 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 Xavi being on the bench doesn't really raise any eyebrows anymore. Um, not just because of the age of Xavi, but also because he he's Luis Enrique is doing something a little bit different. Um, it was it was a risky strategy, although you know bringing in players of the caliber of Suarez is uh, <laughs> you know it, it's it, it's a risk that uh, is is always worth taking, but it was it was a risky strategy, uh, and he's been bold, uh, and uh, the best solutions are, are quite often the boldest ones. Uh, Tim, do you have any thoughts now on why Lionel Messi had a 2014 that was by his standards relatively subdued? I mean, by, he still gets gets named the best player in the World Cup, but. You know, he looked tired, certainly in the latter stages of the World Cup. He, he wasn't really at his best. And 
We saw that type of performance from him a lot in that year. Why do you think it was? Is it physical or, or um, something else going on? Well, I think certainly in the, in the World Cup, it's physical. And this is the problem that all of the subsequent, all of the recent World Cups have faced. Um, I think all of them since, and including 2002, have, uh, that there haven't been great tournaments. And Brazil 14 was probably the best one we've seen in, in recent years. But even, you know, the, the knockout stages weren't as good as the group phase, I thought. And, and that's the problem that all the recent World Cups have, have faced now, that the, that the club season is, is so draining that come the end of, of, of the club season, um, the, uh, the, the best players, they just don't have the gas in the, in the tank to turn it on in the World Cup. And you saw this very, very clearly in the World Cup. And Messi knew that he had to dose himself. He spent much of the games. I was in the stadium for a few of the Argentina games. He spent quite a lot of them just kind of wandering around with the, the absent-minded air of someone who might have dropped his wedding ring on the, on the pitch and, and, and he's kind of looking for it. And then suddenly, two or three times in a game, he would, he would come to life and look to make the difference that way. I think that was a, a confession of his, uh, of his um, physical limitations at that point in the season. And maybe otherwise with Barcelona, perhaps... And again, this, I suppose, is to give credit to Luis Enrique. And perhaps the whole Barcelona thing was suffering from the post-Guardiola effect. You know, what do we do now? Where do we go now? And it, it's taken Luis Enrique to come in with a slightly different idea to, uh, to, uh, to freshen the place up a little bit and maybe freshen Messi up as well. Tim, uh, you mentioned Guardiola there. Um, he is, I mean, apparently... Uh, the Bayern board still think that you know he's the right man, and when you look at the record in the league, it's impossible to argue with that. But once again, they've, it's it's almost like a carbon copy of last season. Uh, they win the league really early, sort of they they almost fall apart a little bit in the league after they've won it, uh, and it's just as the as the season is approaching its climax, and they've absolutely been battered in the Champions League semi-finals uh, by a Spanish team uh, by a Spanish team again. I mean, where does Guardiola go from here? Can you see what he's trying to do at Bayern? actually working out well had this game been 70 minutes we'd have all we'd all have been praising Guardiola today because after that initial reshuffle he, he moved then to, to a back four I thought Bayern got better in the game and uh, were probably the better side for quite a lot of the second half without really penetrating very much he did have a number of, uh, of, of uh, absences uh, through through injuries but, you know, just going into that last 20 minutes, I was thinking, you know, this, this has turned out to be, to be Guardiola's game. He's, he's, uh, he's had a look at Barcelona. He's seen that his initial idea didn't work. He's been able to, uh, to, to change his, his, his strategy in mid-game, and it seems to have worked quite well. Um, but 90 minutes against Barcelona can be a long, long time, you know, because that little man, he, he doesn't need much to, to, to really turn it on. And one error... One error there by the left back getting getting caught in possession high up there, and just before that, and this this shows what a what a what a thin line it can be in football. Just before that, seconds before the opening goal, Neymar really could have been sent off. You know, he's on a yellow. Um, there, there's the, the 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 possible simulation in in the penalty area. What happens then? You know, with twenty minutes to go, it's nil nil, and Barcelona are down to ten. Um, so I, I'm always wary of, of of kind of writing people off on 
on one scoreline because you know every game has so many possible games that could have happened within it. Uh, and that game, had Neymar been sent off there, that game could have ended up scoreless or even with a victory for, for, for Bayern in the last few minutes. Who knows? Um, but there, there, there clearly is a problem, it would seem to, seem to me, with the ease with which uh, Bayern parade um, through the German Championship. Uh, which perhaps doesn't doesn't prepare them for for the final stages, and, and maybe maybe it, it's hard for for Guardiola to to prepare a team sufficiently balanced um, for the closing stages of of the Champions League because during the German league he really never ne- never has to do that or has to do that on so few occasions yep. that it, it doesn't really work as practice Tim. for the closing stages of the Champions League. Sorry to cut across you. We'll leave it there. Listen, Tim, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thank you. My pleasure. Can we go back to Luis Enrique for a second? Yeah. Is this guy not a complete genius? No. Has Barcelona on the top of the league, has him crushing Bayern Munich, has managed to quell the revolt around... He's managed to take it... Quell the revolt is one way of putting it. Mm. Or alternatively, just, okay, Leo, you might as well manage the team as well. <laughs> yeah. Go on, then. Look, there's is no that pl- not going to be just... Is that the charge going to be thrown to every team that Messi plays for now, be it, or every manager he plays under? That if they do well, oh, it's just it's messy. Well, it is, though. It is messy. Like, look at Guardiola. Guardiola's the manager of the other team there. What could he, he couldn't do anything. He's like, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. He even said it before the game. In fairness. He did say <laughs> He did say it before the game. And then he said it after the game. So he was consistent throughout. He's like, Leo Messi is the difference. And I, I mean, I think Yeah, he Guardiola, is as a player, of course, Leo Messi is the difference. But. Well, Guardiola was trying to prove a lot of what he... The reason you know, why he left Barcelona in the end, I think his, his relationship with Messi wasn't really that good by the end. Mm. Um, and, and a big part of what he's trying to do now is prove that it wasn't just Messi. It was also, you know, Pep. And unfortunately, Maybe a little wrong. right now, he's still a little bit off that because he hasn't really... I mean, while Bayern Munich have, have been really impressive in the league, they already were. They always are. In the, you know, they're, they're usually going to win the German league. And, you know, the European record... Luis Enrique was quicker to 50 wins than any Barcelona manager in history. I was quite struck by a tweet about that a couple of weeks ago. Quick, even quicker than Guardiola, really? apparently, yeah. Uh, so a lot of wins in a small space of time. He has them, as I said, he said, I, I don't know. It's, it's If they were to go on and be as dominant as they were under Guardiola, is Luis Enrique is one of these figures that will never get any praise. Uh, the, the Argentinian manager, whose name I've already forgotten, wasn't <laughs> going to get a huge amount of praise if they won that World Cup, all right? And that was probably... Fair enough. Yeah. I can't remember, I believe I can't remember his name Caballo? either. Caballo? No? Oh, no, listen, we won't no, 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 start... Let's not do that. It's literally the worst radio in the world. I'm just about to wrap up this podcast. Let's not spend the last minute of it reaching for a name yeah. that we should well, know. Uh, S- yeah. Sabella, Sabella. Sabella, of course. Um, Sorry, my Sabella. Spanish pronunciation was uh, poor there, but I did get his name correct. The problem, so. with, the problem with Sabella is we actually saw so much footage of Leo Messi actively... Ignoring, ignoring his team yeah. talks yeah. <laughs> literally standing with his back to the team talks you don't see that at club football but it, it's, it's just going to be that way for everybody and, and that's the way it should be any manager in charge of a team that had Messi, Suarez uh, you know Neymar and then you've got players like Iniesta Busquets Alves, I'll tell you how, yeah. I mean come on I'll tell you how unfair all this is right if Luis Enrique turns out to be as dominant if his Barcelona team turns out to be as dominant as Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team it actually hurts both of their reputations. <laughs> That's how unfair the world is. Because if Luis Enrique turns around wins as many trophies as Pep Guardiola as well, hold on a minute here. Yeah. It's Leo Messi. Like, a, he's they've got the best player who's ever played the game by 10 miles yeah. playing in his team. I could go over to Barcelona and uh, wear a sharp suit and win untold numbers of trophies. They could put one of those Antonio Gaudi like lizards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
just on the t- on the sideline in like a in a sort of Guardiola style jumper and yeah, tie, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and it could manage the team. Yeah. We've the ne- next coach of Barcelona, the uh, Sagrada Familia. That, that that's basically it. It's like was, was it fair to say that? Would it be fair to say that anybody could have managed those guys? <laughs> yes. This is my famous Hang Ten Caddy question. Yeah, yeah. No, Hang Ten Caddy. Not going li- to live that one then. No, this one. I I think it really anybody could. Have a listen to our latest podcast. The latest. Before this one, anyway, features an in-depth chat about the philosophical appeal, maybe the intellectual appeal of MMA. Listen, I'm not gonna. We talked a lot about this in the other podcast, so I'm not, I'm not gonna try and split hairs on it here. And a little bit on Ulster against Munster this weekend. Thanks very much for listening to this one, football fans. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.